0: copy of God's Word as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 14 and we'll be beginning in verse 12 in just a few moments. Our thoughts this morning center around the vision of John, uh, as he's recorded it here, of the final judgment. Two uh, overarching themes run throughout the Bible from front to back, beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation, you know what you want to say it. Uh, it is the fact that God has extended great mercy to mankind. Uh, the story of the gospel is all the way through from, from the fall. As soon as Adam fell, God intervened and uh, revealed that one would come and overcome Satan and sin. But the, the other side of that is running throughout the entirety of Scripture is this, is this loud warning those who reject God's mercy and grace, a warning of judgment. Uh, Sometimes we're accused of being heavy handed on the judgment side. Um, But I would say that we have to be faithful to say what God said, we have to be faithful. Uh, The problem is today, as Sherry and I were traveling this week, I thought about this. Uh, Sometimes when you travel or you go on vacation, you have time to sit and think that you don't have time to do sometimes at home. And I, I watched people and multitudes as they pass by, and so many of them lost, so many of them, no clue of what's coming, no no perception of God and of their accountability to him. Uh, so basically, I wrote in my notes, the world's not listening, the world's not listening. Preachers
1: stand in the pulpit every week across this nation, uh, you know, there are men out who are telling the truth, and people aren't listening. Let me read you. I don't have to take time to turn there. We, we'll put them for you. I want to read you four verses, starting. Speak of judgment. You find. Now listen to the God said the time has come to your sin. Why, why is that time Because they would remote time to make all the John listen to what Daniel said Daniel 7-9 God gave him listen to what Daniel I will till thrones were put in place for days that's the judge his garment his head was like pure wool And came forth in the king has sat down fully revealed. I don't know. He talks about the blessing, blessedness of the saints. Look at verses 12 and Here are those who keep the Jesus, verse thirteen. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, "Right from now on, yes, that they may read their labors and their works follow." And the word there uh, comes from the word which means perseverance or endurance. What John says. Is this relation uh, evidence of their persecution. Consider this: Jesus was different in history, in
0: a time when persecution will be greater against the church than it's ever been, and notice persecution against the church has already begun in this country. Churches being fined for having services and forbidden to meet together when the Constitution clearly says they can't do that. In the worst time of human history those people who were saved in that time will persevere. They will endure. They will endure to the end unto death. But what does that talk to us today about? of the saints and we hear about christians who will endure unto tribulation or persecution well today i would suggest to you persecution is coming and endurance of the saints or perseverance of the saints is demonstrated in three passages. passage number one we know somebody is truly saved in the way they demonstrate if they obey the word of god doesn't mean perfectly doesn't mean sinless because none of us are perfect. However, if you're a true born-again child of God, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, there's going to be a Holy Spirit-driven desire to
1: do what God says. Do it imperfectly. To read God's word and to do what it says. Question. If it's not, then maybe... Example. Quit on I would question their genuine, their with God. Because you see, if you really get saved, you're going things- in Jesus. i life. Faith- i stay- straight today, much- I obey- during, during. You say, you know what, if you love me, I have to do this, to think. Oh, God. do it. You think. Like I have to to do love God. God explains love to, to us. Can't, my friend, or it was his terrible accident, or I have this have this physical my face is a list of that I get older I'm not real happy about it. You I mean I mean let's just be honest. I mean you know, we're getting closer to Jesus. Well yeah the whole idea and And you know' how you know you wake up in the middle of the night and you like, yeah is that happened right? <laughs> <laughs> a couple times here. I was asleep. what is this?
0: you know you got to roll over so the other side starts hurting or something I don't know, but listen can do we do we blame God for that? you know do we say do we say God, you must not love me because of this or that or the other thing? No, not at all. You see, if you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand that. You understand that nothing in this life, no matter what the setback is, no matter what the difficulty is, doesn't have anything to do with, with, with the love of Jesus Christ for us. Listen, you know why these saints could endure in the tribulation? You know why they will endure in the tribulation? You know why saints endure today? They obey God. They have a desire to obey God. They continue in the faith and, and they endure through tribulation because of promises like this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, no trial, no trouble has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Listen, if you're experiencing it, somebody else has. There's no new troubles in this life. There are no no new problems in this life. But listen to what God promises. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. Meaning, if you want to endure, God will make a way for you to endure, okay? The reason people don't endure, are you following me, is because they don't really want to, which which then takes us back to their relationship with Jesus Christ. So these saints will persevere. And and God said they're blessed in that time. Listen, why do people, let's deal with this for a moment. Why Why do people walk away from God today? Why do they do that? Well, I would suggest they were really never part of us as what the Apostle John said. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of being judgmental. Well, no, let's work it in reverse, okay? People who profess to be Christians, but they don't obey God. Is that a dichotomy? Is that, is that something that doesn't go together? Is that incongruous to use some big words? right? Is that like not go together? They don't match up, doesn't it? Hey, I love Jesus, but I'm not gonna do anything he says. No, that don't work out real well. Or they say, hey, I love Jesus. I'm not going to be involved in the ministry and doing anything. I'm not going to find a, a local church somewhere and get plugged in and use my spiritual gifts for God. That's the, the, it doesn't match. Or or they just disappear. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13 about the sower and the seed. Remember that? And, he's, and it talks about the soils. And the soils represent the hearts, uh, the different receptions of man in their heart. And some of the soil, I'm not going to go through all the soil. I don't want to preach that message. But listen, there was some shallow soil, had rocky, right? And then some that had weeds in it. And what happened to the seeds that fell in there? Well, the seed was received with joy. Meaning the person heard the gospel and said, boy, I need that. Man, I need that. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I need that. But the Bible says that when the seed fell in that soil that was received, the sun came up in that shallow soil and, and burnt the plant up and it died because the seed had no root. It didn't really take. And then the weeds, the briars grew up and choked out the plant and it died. Why? Because the, it, there was more care for the things in the world than there was for God. The apostle John said this in 1 John two nineteen, And this is the reason I can say what I say about people who walk away from Jesus they were never saved in the first place. See, somebody will go, well, they lost their salvation. No, they didn't lose anything because they didn't have it. Listen to what John said, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? John said they left because they weren't really part of us. And if they'd been part of us, they would have stayed. But they went out, they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You say, oh, Pastor, you know, that's kind of hard to say. Well, John said it, I didn't say it. So, okay, John said they left because they weren't part of us, all right? this group in the tribulation god said are blessed why because they have perseverance man they're staying up until death antichrist is going to execute them and they'll still be praising jesus notice what else he said about them real quick no more suffering why are they blessed because they won't be suffering anymore if antichrist kills them that's the worst thing He can do to them right but what did he do he didn't really do bad to them because he has sent them to be with jesus so the bible says they're blessed because they won't suffer anymore and then they'll be in the presence of jesus listen Think about this for a minute. We don't have time to delve into this. The Bible's kind of, the Bible tells us a little bit, but it don't tell us a lot about that state of when you die now, you go to be with Jesus, but you don't have your resurrection body yet. Anybody ever thought about that? I'm sure y'all have. Okay, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of a lot of clear revelation about that. But here's what it does tell us. It tells us that for the saint of God now and those tribulation saints, the moment of physical death. In that instant, we are immediately with Jesus. No delay. Listen, we are immediately in conscious existence with Jesus Christ. Man, that's good. Okay? Not only are we in conscious existence with Jesus Christ in a, in a, in a viable form, but we have fellowship with everybody else that's there. So if you if your loved ones or your friends and people have gone before you, you're gonna, in the, in the instant that you leave here, you're gonna be able to see Jesus, have fellowship with him, and have fellowship with them. Well, that's pretty encouraging. I mean, that's really encouraging. Now, I still would rather have the rapture. How about you? I mean, Jesus rapture us out of here. But listen, but that 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 takes a sting out of death, doesn't it? It takes the whole the whole fear out of the thing. So God said they're blessed because because they're gonna be immediately with Jesus and their works follow them, notice that. Meaning the things they do in serving God, their faithfulness, listen, their perseverance, God takes notice of that and their works follow them, which means rewards, that God will reward them for their faithfulness, even unto death. Now that's the good part of this vision here. The saints are blessed, but now we get to the vision of the final judgment. Look at verses 14 to 16. This describes the judgment that's coming for those who are not saved. Now, notice what John said here. Verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel, meaning another angel of all the angels that have been introduced, not inferring that Jesus is an angel, but another angel came out of the throne room of heaven, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, trust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud, thrust in a sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. This is a little different scene of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, I, I wrote in my notes, Jesus is the reaper here. And we don't normally talk about Jesus that way, do we? We normally talk about Jesus as the savior and the, and the servant and the, and the one who loves us. And uh, we, te- we talk about Jesus is kind of like the world sees God as that gray haired fellow in, in, you know, in heaven who's patting everybody on the head saying, oh, you're doing a good job. This picture of Jesus is so different, isn't it? This is Jesus uh, with, his, with a sickle. You know what a sickle is? All you non- non-farm people, let me tell you what a sickle is, okay? A sickle is, is, is this blade, on, this curved blade on a staff I tell you, if you've ever seen the picture of the Grim Reaper, you know, was standing there with that, that's a sickle. What do they use that for? It usually had a handle on it, and they would cut wheat with it. They would swing it back and forth. Now, that's before, on our trip this week, by the way, this reminded me of something. We were we were driving through countryside. Country people live out there. <laughs> Different than city people. They have farms. I mean, corn and food everywhere. We saw this tractor. That's the baddest looking tractor I've ever seen. That thing had, had had six wheels, had eight wheels on it, had two on each side in the front, two in the back, and it was huge and it was pulling this long trail of farm equipment. Man, that dude was plowing like a half a field at a time. And I, I said to Sherry, went by, I said, man, that's some farming equipment right there. I would plow his field for free if he just let me drive that thing. I mean, because that that I mean you would you feel like the baddest person in the world driving a tractor that big. Listen, but before they had tractors like that, they had a sickle, okay? And the guy had to stand out there in the field and and you know use manual labor and cut the wheat. The picture here is of Jesus, <clears throat> the cloud. Is, is not the puffy white things we see floating around in the air. The cloud is the glory of, of, his, of who he is. It's the glory of heaven, okay, it's his, his glory. Jesus is sitting in, in his glory with that sickle, which all indicates judgment, which means all the, all, the, all the opportunities of mercy and grace have passed. It's gone. The time has come and gone, and now Jesus is about to reap or, or bring judgment on a wicked, rebellious world who won't listen to him. That's what the picture is. And you say, well, how do we know this is Jesus? Well, number one, he's sitting in the glory and he's the only one qualified to do that. Let me read you another passage from Daniel. Man, I love the book of Daniel. So it so parallels the book of Revelation. It really is the skeleton that Revelation hangs on. Listen to what Daniel said in Daniel seven thirteen and 14. Listen to this, almost the exact same thing. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man, that's Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven, there's his glory. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That's exactly what John's seeing right here. Jesus with the sickle, about to bring in his kingdom. We also know this is Jesus because of his title, son of man. That's the title Jesus used of himself more than any other, son of man. Why did he use that? Because he was born of man. He came incarnate. He left heaven, laid aside his glory, took on a human body. Isn't it interesting? Think about this. Well, we need to think about this. The Bible says while Jesus was here, he had nowhere to lay his head. He owned nothing. The only thing Jesus owned in this life for 33 years was the clothes on his back. And the, and the soldiers gambled for that when he died. He owned nothing. That one, that one was who, who, who came in ultimate humility as the servant to humanity to die on the cross. When he comes back the next time, he ain't coming that way. Mm-mm. He's coming like this in the clouds of glory. He's coming in all the majesty that's his, all of his power, all of his glory. And the one who had nowhere to lay his head is going to own the whole world. It's going to be his kingdom. That's who's coming back. You see, the warning is pretty strong here, isn't it? And then it says a crown of gold on his head. That's a victor's crown because he's won the battle. He's coming. Judgment's coming. So what should we do today? Well, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've never been saved, man, I'd be beating feet to the cross right now. I'd be doing business with Jesus. You see, listen, now's the time to have the mercy. The time's coming when the mercy won't be available, when the reaping is gonna come, the harvest. Now listen, I think that this first scene here with Jesus with the sickle really correlates to the final bowl judgments. And so why would you say that? Well, the bowl judgments, which we're gonna get into here in the next few chapters, are are the last and most severe judgments right before Jesus comes back. And they're rapid, they they don't take long, and they're one right behind the other. And so I believe that's Jesus bringing these bold judgments about to reap the world, about to bring in the judgment, okay? And so I think these correlate well uh, with, the, with the bold judgments and Jesus will reap the world. Now it says here that uh, the angel says to Jesus, the world is ripe to harvest. Do you see that? It's ripe to harvest. The word there in the Greek means overripe. It means it's past ripe. It means it was ripe and we let it go on and now it's, now it's beyond that. You ever done that in your garden? You should have got them tomatoes last week, but you got them today and they're they're overripe. Or I like bananas, but you know what happens to bananas if they sit around for a while? They get yucky. The only thing they're good for after that is making banana pudding. But but you know you can't they're not very good to just eat. Listen, it's the same idea here. In other words, what the, what the angels saying is, look, the world the world to be judged back here, but now but it's past that now. Why would it be overripe? Because God's merciful. Because God said, yeah, I should have judged them back here, but I'm gonna wait a little longer and see if they'll turn. But they don't. And so the angel says, they're overripe. You need to harvest, harvest it now. Now the last scene is the scene of the wine press. This passage always sticks out to me because I went and visited a family one time. And you know, when you go visit in people's homes, pre COVID, they ask you all kinds of questions because they have the pastor in their house. Man, that lady opened the Bible to this passage and wanted me to talk about this passage in her house. Okay, we're going to talk about Revelation. But that's what comes to mind every time I read it. Look at verses 17 to 20. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. By the way, let me just throw this in for free. There's a temple in heaven, have you caught that? And God's on the throne. And there are multitudes of angels attending to God in the temple. Matter of fact, we, we just saw where Daniel said thousands and thousands and ten thousands times. Ten. Man, they're, they're, heaven. Heaven's a crowded place. Lots of angels and lots of things going on. And when we get there, we're going to be amongst them worshiping God and serving him too. Look at this again. Then another angel came out, verse 17 of Revelation 14, out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. Again, representative of judgment. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the wine, the great winepress of the wrath of God. Verse 20, look at this. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for, a 1,600 furlongs or about 200 miles. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Let me explain to you what's going on there. Just as I believe the first part of the judgment referred to the, the bold judgments right at the end, this is the battle of Armageddon. This is where Jesus returns and the armies of Antichrist and the false prophet, they resist Jesus and Jesus kills them, okay? and it's described in, in terms of grapes being harvested and uh, thrown in a wine vat. Now you know how you've seen movies and I'm sure none of you have done this. If you have I'd be impressed. You put the grapes in the thing and you take your shoes off, which is kind of sketchy to me. And you and you get in there and you and you stomp around on these grapes and you squish them and they and the juice runs out the bottom and you know and when you're stomping on them I've never done this. So they tell me that some of the the grapes, the juice squirts up on your clothes and get, and gets spattered with grape juice. Well, John takes that. You know, God uses that vision here for John and says that's how the battle of Armageddon is going to be. It's going to be like God's going to gather up the wicked and put them in His wine press of judgment and crush them. And the blood's going to spatter and and there's going to be great devastation and great loss now a couple more things and we'll finish i want to read you a long passage i don't normally do this but i am because here's what we're going to see in revelation 19 beginning verse 11 we have a description of what john just saw right here we have more detail of the same event given to us in revelation 19 beginning verse 11 so take your bible or look up on the screen and turn over there now keep in mind what john just said The the angel's going to gather the earth at Armageddon, put them in the wine press, and they're going to get crushed, and blood's going to spatter. Listen to the description of that very event when John gets to describing that event, beginning in verse 11 of Revelation 19. Now listen to this. John said, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So John's vision in 19 is of heaven opening and Jesus coming, to the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus, he sees Jesus on a white horse and he's coming to make war, okay? Quite different from coming the first time, born of the Virgin Mary, little baby in a a feeding trough, nowhere to stay. Now he's the king, all right? Verse 12. Notice the description of Jesus here. And I don't have time to, we'll do this passage when we get to it. But listen to this. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. Now look at verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Same idea there. Why is his robe got blood on it? Because, man, he's crushing the wine press. You get in the picture? Okay. So he's got blood on it. And his name is what? The Word of God. Hey, that reminds us of John 1, 1 and 2, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. And the Word was God. Ooh, funny how the Bible's all connected, isn't it? John said his name is, uh, he's the word of God. Verse 14. And the armies in heaven, angels and us, there we are, that's you. The armies of heaven, although we're not gonna do anything, don't get too excited. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen and white and clean, followed him on on white horses. You know why white and clean? Because in heaven, you're pure. In heaven, no, no sin, no nothing, right? Verse 15. And out of his mouth, now here's how Jesus is gonna fight the battle of Armageddon. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Now, that's not this freaky, weird looking picture of this sword sticking out of his mouth, which you see drawn. What does that mean? He's gonna fight with words. Cause he's God, he's gonna speak it and it's gonna happen. How did he create? God said, let there be, and guess what? There was. Whatever he said, let be, there is. Now, if God said, let be, and it is, and God says, now, don't be, guess what will happen? They're going to die, all right? And that's how he's going to fight. Notice what it says. Now of his mouth goes a sharp a sword, uh, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Now look at this. He himself treads the winepress. Well, there it is. What do we just see? Okay, we're going to gather the earth, put it in the winepress. Who's treading it? There it is. He himself uh, treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw, that's just an awesome picture, isn't it? I mean, man, that is good stuff. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Look, verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, I'll get this part now, verse 19. And I saw the beast, the king of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image These two, now get this part. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded out of his mouth, out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. All I can say about that is, wow. That's incredible, isn't it? John sees the vision of the angel given the command, harvest the grapes, harvest the earth. Okay? And by the way, the, the phrase for ripe for the grapes means ripe, not overripe like before. Meaning it's time. Harvest them, put them in the vat. Jesus himself is gonna tread the wine press of the wrath of Almighty God. Why? Because he's God and He's the judge and He's the executioner and He's gonna do it. The last part down here where the where the false prophet and the beast, the Antichrist, they get thrown into a lake of fire. You see that? Burning with fire and brimstone forever. Boy, that kind of settles the question. People go, there's no hell, right? Because it says right there, they're gone. And guess how they got thrown in there? Alive, meaning conscious, meaning they're going to be there forever knowing knowing the judgment of God and the pain and the suffering. I wrote right after this long passage in my notes, I wrote, what do you do now? I'm going to tell you. Psalm 212, listen to this. David said this. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little, bless are all those who put their trust in him. Well, that's a good verse. Kiss the son. What does that mean? It means humble yourself before the mighty God before it's too late. Unless he be angry with you a little bit. You see what it says there? It, it, what it, The psalmist said, it only takes a little. If he's angry a little, you're done. So you come to him humbly, confessing your sin and throwing yourself on the mercy of God and he will gladly save you. So what do we do today? Let me ask you this. Based on what you have seen, and I read a whole bunch of stuff out of the Bible today. Based on what you've seen and what you understand about being saved, are you saved or not? Online, Are you saved or not? You're watching the video later. Are you saved or not? The answer is yes or no. There's no middle ground. You know, and there's no, I think I'm saved. I might be saved. Or yeah, I'm a little bit saved. No, you're either all saved or you're all lost. So which is it? Which is it? Only you know that. Which is it? Would you trust Jesus right now? Would you ask him to save you? Let's pray. Father, this uh, passage that we've read and talked about today is incredible so many people in the world have no idea what's coming no clue of the judgment that's coming for sin and yet right now God you you, as it were through your preachers and prophets you scream from the rooftops and proclaim loudly that all who will come may come for whosoever will come can be saved Lord all it takes is that we humble ourselves that we by faith ask you to forgive us and save us putting our faith in jesus christ and him alone believing that you died on the cross lord to pay for our sin you rose again the third day you are alive right now at the right hand of the father making intercession for all who call on your name god if there's somebody here today who's lost i pray right now that they would bow their heart before you humble themselves and ask you by faith to save them in jesus name If I can pray with you or help you, or if you think you need to be saved and we can help you, you come as we sing the first verse of this song.